Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. How are you this morning? I am doing great. Gosh, you know, I wish I had fringe benefits. <laughs> you know, there are some, some you may not even think about that are perks of working. I'm glad I have a job. Let's just say that to begin with. But then there are also some uh, little extra perks that are worth something. Well, and especially, you know, Liz, in this gig economy, a lot of people who are freelancers do not uh, have access to these fringe benefits. And I know when our university hires a full-time employee, they factor in about 35% uh, additional above salary to, to cover fringe benefits. So it's, it's a, it really is important uh, that, you know, that when you are employed to look at that aspect and what fringe benefits are available. And then we have to think about which ones are taxable and which ones are uh, not taxable, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, and we are talking about taxes today because they're laws, they're legally binding requirements that we all have to live by. So what does the IRS say is a fringe benefit? Well, you know, it goes back to um, the, the idea of in the, in the old days, people would be paid, paid money, and so, you know, that was clearly salary. But additional benefits that were paid, especially highly paid executives, were not treated as taxable. And I think Congress was concerned about that because it meant that, let's say you uh, and I made the same salary, but in addition to your salary, you got a country club membership, you got the use of a car, you got uh, tickets, you know, season tickets to uh, football games. Uh, I didn't get any of those things. And and so Congress said, you know, to, to create horizontal equity between us, we need to tax your fringe benefits as well. And so a fringe benefit is any non-cash uh, benefit g- given to uh, someone. So and that would include health insurance, things like that there. So they, they can be uh, paid with cash by the employer, but those are treated as fringe benefits. And so lots of different categories, and that's why it's so hard for Congress to, to come up with one rule for all of them. Well, and that's what we're going to be talking about this hour. Now, we want to remind everyone we are talking about the laws. So we invite people's questions. We don't necessarily can comment on your particular situation, but we can tell you what the law is concerning that topic. So let's go to the phones. We've got Gerard from South Haven. Gerard, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. I have a brief question, although it is not necessarily work-related. It is tax-related. To try to make this a short story, my wife's biological father married a woman 30 years ago, and she biologically had her own two children. She owned a house in San Jose. My father-in-law, my wife's father, bought half of that house from his new wife. And then he bequeathed uh, one-sixth of the sale of the house to his three children, one being my wife. The father and his wife have since both passed away, so they're no longer in the picture. And the house in San Jose was sold last year. From that sale, my wife received a personal check 
from one of the children of the deceased wife. The check was uh, well into the 150000 range, and um, so we're not sure what to do. We haven't received any other documents concerning this amount of money. Well, that's a, an interesting question, Your Honor. I, you know, a lot of it is really I'd have to know more details to give you a, a direct answer. But what I can say in general is this. Inheritances are not included in someone's income. So if I inherit money from an estate, uh, the Internal Revenue Code says that that is not included in income. I guess maybe they figure that death and taxes are inevitable, but they, they don't have to be together. So uh, any money that we inherit is not income taxable. Now, there may be an estate tax. Uh, that's a different tax system. Uh, but it, uh, the other thing is, it depends on what the value of the home was uh, when your w- wife's father died, because um, at death, you get a basis that equals the value of the property. A basis is what we use to determine gain. You only have to pay tax on gain to the extent the gain, uh, the amount you receive exceeds your basis. So, you know, it, it, if the value of the property was the same at death as it was at the time of the sale, you would not have to report any gain. Uh, and so you just need to find out what that was. And, and somebody should be able to tell you that information. There should be uh, information available about uh, what the gain was. And then that gain would be subject to a capital gains tax, which is a lower tax than the regular income tax. Um, and it could be as low as 0% or as high as 20%, uh, depending on tax brackets. So there's a lot of information you need to find out. But the first step is, for, for a lot of that is going to be excluded from income just because it was part of an inheritance. It just depends on how much more they sold the uh, property for than, um, than it was worth at, at your uh, father-in-law's death. Okay. Um, the best I would even respond on that thought was that, it sold at market value for the house market in that area. Um, but, it, of course, when it was purchased, it was far less. Right. And, that, and that's the thing about date of death. Again, you know, there's something about death that kind of gives us a clean slate. So uh, when you acquire property from somebody at death, all of that potential gain goes away. So even though it might have been bought for a lot less, it would be the value at date of death that would be the amount you would use to determine what gain you would have. So you would only pay tax on any additional amount you received above the value at date of death. So, you know, that really uh, wipes out a lot of that gain, that, that uh, date of death basis. Um, okay. And so, you know, that should help. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Al. I've been trying to find out more specifics from the other living parties, but they're not communicating. But appreciate your response. Thank you. My pleasure. I think what makes taxation complicated is you got to deal with people. Yeah. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Okay. Thank, thank you, you for calling in. When we're talking about fringe benefits, I guess sometimes if you are working, you might have to travel for work. Uh, I know a number of companies have a company car so that you don't have to pay things for yourself. But if you're driving your own car, a lot of uh, companies will reimburse you for mileage. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that for the 2019 tax year. Well, for 2019, the uh, reimbursable rate is 58 cents. And we probably expect it to go up just a little bit in 2020. But 
So what that really means is that if I am traveling in my own personal car, I will submit my mileage to my university or to my employer, and I will be reimbursed at that rate. Uh, you know, and 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 that's the that's the federal uh, rate. It could be the employer reimburses uh, at a lower rate. So it really, they don't have to necessarily reimburse at that rate. But if if I'm reimbursed at that rate, then that will not be taxable to me. Uh, because the assumption is I uh, that would be expenses that would be deductible by me anyway. If I'm reimbursed as an employee, then uh, those things are, are not included in my income. So I, I can, even though, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I really haven't had that much wear and tear on my car, uh, I, uh, the 58 cents is the rate that the IRS allows for reimbursement. All right. Then another thing that uh, may be a benefit for workers is to have an FSA, a flexible spending account. Remind us what a flexible spending account is and what about those contributions to that? Well, you know, those have been, I think, a great boon for people because it's very hard for an individual taxpayer to deduct medical expenses. Uh, they have to be sit really pretty much catastrophic before they're even that you even start to be able to deduct them. So FSAs are part of something called a cafeteria plan where an employer can offer uh, opportunities for uh, employees to put some money aside pre-tax. Uh, that can be used for specific purposes, and the FSA is used specifically for medical expenses, prescription drugs, things like that. So what you're really doing is you're allowing to use those. You're allowed to use those dollars pre-tax, uh, and that you know that creates a savings for the employee. Um, the maximum amount for 2019 was $2,700 you could put into an FSA, but there's one caveat: um, if you don't spend that money. Uh, you lose it up, up except for uh, $500. You can keep $500 into the next year. But So you want to make sure before you put anything in an FSA that you're actually going to use that money. But if you do, uh, instead of spending money that's after-tax dollars, you're spending pre-tax dollars. All right. Well, let's do one more. What about limits on commuter expenses? If I choose to live in Water Valley and commute into Oxford um, and I get reimbursed or tell us a little bit about those kind of uh, commuter expenses that are reimbursable. Well, and those, again, are set up. They're like an FSA in a way. They're a CSA is really what they are, and they're a, a commuter spending account, essentially. Um, and you can use them, uh, the money for qualified parking, for qualified mass transit. really was to encourage people to use mass transit cards in bigger cities. Um, and so that is up to $270 a month. Again, though, and you, you know, if you live in a place like New York, you're probably going to use that. But if you don't use it, you lose it. So it really is one of those things that if somebody's going to set one of those up, they really need to uh, think about that. Not every employer offers those. So one of the things you have to look at is what kinds of uh, fringe benefits does my employer offer as part of its cafeteria plan. All right. To be part of our show, uh, you call our number one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You could also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're going to continue our discussion of work perks after the break. Does your employer offer health perks? We'll hear a statistic when we're back in just a bit. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hey. 
Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal question. You're listening to In Legal Terms. Remember, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. And it's also on whatever podcasting platform you choose for your smart device. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And according to Just Works, only 15% of employers offer perks for physical and mental health in their benefits package. This morning, we're talking about work perks that you may have to pay taxes on. Professor Gershon, I want to show off and brag at the Education and Research Center Complex, where MPB and the institutions of higher learning, the Library Commission, community colleges, and the state's IT department is, they got a grant from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and we've got this room that they set up as a gym. So it is fantastic to be able to bop over there uh, before lunch, after lunch, before work, after work, and you know do a treadmill for 10 minutes to get a little healthy. I think this is a fantastic perk that uh, the employees in this uh, complex are able to use. And, you know, it's interesting that is not a taxable perk because it's on your employer's premises and available to all employees. And so that, you know, if on the other hand, if they gave you a membership, a gym membership uh, to, to some other place as part of your employment, that could be taxable. So it really depends. A lot of the rules really are about, you know, is this on the employer's premises? Is it available to all employees uh, that will keep them from being taxable benefits? Cool. <laughs> all right. Uh, why is Congress concerned about fringe benefits and have they always been taxable? Well, they, they haven't. And I think that was the key is that, you know, there really was, uh, you know, a situation where someone would uh, have a certain salary and they would say, well, instead of giving me more money, which would be taxable, start giving me some benefits. So give me a country club membership. Give me a gym membership. Give me a use of a car. Give me, uh, you know, free food uh, in, in an executive cafeteria. All those things added up. And Congress realized that that created a situation where two people with the same salary were not being taxed the same. So. They started this whole process of saying, therefore, we need to tax fringe benefits. But then when you start to try to tax fringe benefits, you realize there are things like uh, the gym on the premises of the, of the employer that don't really make sense. There are things like this. I mean, what if, what if my uh, – I had a, I had a uh, president of a university that I used to work at gave everyone uh, 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 who at, a, like, at the dean level a, a ham 
uh, as a Christmas present. Um, and that's great, except uh, I just don't I don't happen to eat ham. So, you know, should that be taxable? So, you know, Congress had to back out and start thinking about, you know, that there is some forced consumption aspect to some fringe benefits. And therefore, we need to decide which ones should be taxable and which ones shouldn't. But the idea is to try to create equity so that, you know, we're not having a person who's played, paid purely cash being taxed uh, at the same rate as somebody who's getting cash plus a bunch of other stuff. Well, let's start with the good news. What fringe benefits aren't taxed? Well, uh, if you happen to work for an airline, for example, there's something called a no additional cost service, which, you know, the airline has to fly the plane from uh, from Memphis to to uh, California anyway, and if they're empty seats and they allow their employees to to use those empty seats uh, as long as they're not knocking off someone who is a paid uh, customer, that's called a no additional cost service because it's really not costing the the, uh, airline anymore. Those are not taxable. So people who work for for hotels who get to use an empty room uh, for their vacations, uh, you know, get get free rooms for themselves and their families are not taxable as long as they're offered on a non-discriminatory basis. So they can't just be uh, for highly compensated employees. They've got to be uh, more universally allowable to uh, to employees. So, um, you know, those are good benefits. We, for example, every once in a while when uh, we don't have a sold-out game here at the university, the university will uh, ha- allow uh, faculty and staff to, to get uh, some free tickets that are available. That would be a no additional cost service because the stadium is still going to be there and the seats are still going to be there, and those are tickets that aren't sold. That's interesting. I know when I used to attend college uh, back in the day, the students got free tickets to the football games. But if there were too many, if the more students wanted to go, you had to do it as a lottery drawing. That's right. And that and that was part of your tuition. But, you know, for like employees, so one oh, thing. Yeah, that, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the. Pro- yeah. So we always talk about uh, my. Yeah, free, free, anything free at an educational institution is questionable <laughs> if you ask me. But um, my, uh, you know, like if if, uh, if 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 the university offered every employee uh, free football tickets, that would be a taxable benefit. That would be different because it would not be a no additional cost service. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about working condition fringe benefits. What about uh, uh, my office and my computer using the copy machine, that kind of thing? Well, you know, it's interesting because most of the fringe benefit issues really are are labor law issues to some extent to try to create equity among employee classes. So, you know, we talked about those no additional cost services, and we said they can't be given on a discriminatory basis. You can't just give it to the chief executive. Executive, you got to make it available to, to the employees generally. Um, but the one you can discriminate on is, is working condition fringes. And so, for example, uh, if somebody has a beautiful corner office and somebody else doesn't have an office but has a, a carol, you know, those are both working condition fringes, uh, and neither one of them will be taxable. Using, you know, having a co- use of a, a printer in your office. As, would, as long as it's used for the, uh, the business as a working condition fringe. So anything that is really would have, been, would have been a business expense had the employee bought it themselves uh, is not going to be taxable. That makes sense. So that is a fringe benefit. There's no question that having a nicer office or having a window uh, you know, that looks out over this beautiful campus uh, is uh, desirable, but that's not going to be a taxable benefit. Speaking as someone who has an interior office <laughs> that I can almost touch all the 
waltz with both hands stretched out. Uh, I guess I'm relieved to know that uh, when I do get promoted and get one of those window offices that I won't be taxed on that. We have an email sent in from Wayne. Wayne owns a small business. What meal expenses can be deducted, deducted whole or in part from income? And also, what business vehicle deviation trips on the way to a job-related activity would not cross the line into personal vehicle use? Read this like a beachside trip when I'm finishing a seminar in Orlando. Well, you know, that's, those are great questions. And, and part of that comes back to the original definition of a business expense, which means it has to be uh, primarily for the conduct of a trader business. And so those expenses, we, we recognize that spending money to make money, you shouldn't be taxed on your gross amount that you make, but on the net amount. And that will include expenses that you incur to make that money. Now, you got to make sure you keep good records when it comes to things like meals and, and commuting and travel, because those tend to be somewhat questionable, you know, because there are, there's an entertainment aspect to a meal. Uh, the rule generally is you can deduct 50% of meal and beverage cost as a business expense, but the uh, employer and uh, or an employee has to be present at the meal, and you've got to furnish the meal uh, to current or potential customers, consultants, clients, or similar business contacts. So, you know, I, I, you hear stories of people who uh, fly to, to Hawaii for vacation, and they look up, you know, a potential client in the, in the phone book and call and try to deduct that as a business expense. That's not going to be deductible. you got to be there. When you travel uh, away from home, you've got to be doing that primarily for business. All right, now, if I go to Hawaii and spend 10 days there really doing work, and one day on pleasure, I can I can deduct the cost of that, that expense, and, and, and I can deduct the cost of the meals for the days I, I was actually working. So, you know, those are some of the rules that we need to think about. As far as the diversion trips, it really just depends. I mean, you know, there is some uh, rule for de minimis use of a vehicle for a personal stop. So if, I, if I'm taking a business trip and I stop at, at, the, at a restaurant, uh, you know, just to, or stop, you know, to visit a friend who happens to be along the way for a couple hours. That shouldn't be a problem as long as I'm traveling primarily for business. Uh, and, and that would be uh, still a deductible expense. Now, Professor Gershon is a tax lawyer, and he's going to walk us through more information about taxable fringe benefits in a moment. Some benefits I was surprised to learn about are available to everyone who works. Find out what I learned after this short break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, and we're pleased that our show is available live at 10 a.m. Central on MPB Think Radio, and it's also a podcast. 
there are so many different podcasting platforms. I happen to like Podcast Addict, but there's Stitcher and Spotify. You download it to your phone or smart device. Touch a plus that takes you to the page to search for podcasts. Then I can type in in legal terms in the search area. and It'll bring up in legal terms, and then you're able to touch the photo to access our past shows. This morning, we're talking about fringe benefits with our regular host, Richard Gershon. Now, according to Just Works, I did not realize how good I had it, uh, Richard. Uh, in total, 88% of their survey participants said vacation and paid time off are important when searching for a job. But despite that, only 36% of surveyed employers offered paid time off in their benefits package. That's sad. That really is sad. And, uh, you know, and it, it employers have an issue because obviously there are costs involved in all these fringe benefits. Uh, you know, with uh, with health insurance, for example, I pay a portion of it, but the university picks up another portion of it. That's the same with all employers, typically, or, or not all, but many employers. It's a great benefit, and it's something that I tremendously appreciate. And uh, but not everybody has those, and and you know that's why the you know the broader discussion of uh, you know broader uh, insurance coverage for everyone since you know we've got people who are in you know uber drivers and lyft drivers who uh freelance editors people like that who don't have health insurance uh you know that uh, they have to pay for themselves so um you know it's just something we a broader discussion we need to have because clearly not everyone has access to all these benefits. That's right. All right. Let's talk about some more fringe benefits, some employee perks. How about an employee discount? Let's say uh, I worked for a clothing store. If uh, Are my discounts taxable? It depends. I mean, as long as the clothing store doesn't lose. It depends. Lose. That's a great <laughs> so, you know, that's what I, if You ask any law student what any answer is to any question, it depends. And it really, typically, uh, for most most uh, retail outlets, understand you know how the employee discount has to work, and they're not going to try to they're not going to try to lose money on their employees as long as they're selling the uh, product. Uh, if it's a product, for at least their cost is how it really works. There's something called a gross profit percentage, a little more complicated than that. But as long as they don't discount below their cost, then uh, that will not be taxable to the employee. And, you know, typically what's going to happen is they're not going to do that. They're going to sell it for a little bit of a profit, but maybe less profit than they would to the general public. It's got to be something that, that uh, the employer does offer for sale to the general public in order to qualify as a qualified discount. There could also be services, though. So if I... if uh, Someone works at a, a restaurant. Food is considered a service, and they get a discount on food. That discount cannot exceed twenty percent. Uh, now, sometimes though, sometimes you know the employer says, "Well, we're going to give you a free meal because we want you to stay and do another shift." Those kind of situations typically are excludable. But if it's a general rule that any time I go into uh, the the, the res- restaurant that I work at, I can get a 20% discount, that won't be taxable. If they make it more than 20%, then that will be taxable. Okay. Now, how about if uh, your employer provides you coffee every day? Or what if it's donuts? Well, this, this is where I think... 
the the area of this law gets interesting because it's almost unenforceable. The regulations on this say, you know, that if an employer offers coffee every day, that could be a taxable fringe benefit. But my question is, how are they ever going to regulate that? Is somebody going to stand there and count the number of cups of coffee that someone drinks? Because not everybody drinks coffee. So just because the employer offers it doesn't mean that every employee should be taxable on that benefit. So, you know, that that really is just not workable. Uh, You know, the regs say an occasional donut, if the employer brings in donuts on Friday or something like that, that's not a taxable fringe. That's something called a dimension minimus fringe benefit, something so small that it's not worth dealing with. I really think any any food that can be eaten or, or uh, held had on the premises of a small amount that's not um, you know lavish should be ex- excludable and not a problem just because people have so many different dietary restrictions and eat different things. It would be unfair to tax somebody uh, for a cup of coffee every day when they don't drink coffee. Uh, what if you work at a place like Google that has a cafeteria with discounted food? Well, you know, that really depends. I mean, if, if it's something they offer to all employees and if the idea is that it's for the convenience of the employer because they want the employees to stay on campus uh, and not go off uh, the Google campus during lunch, uh, then that's really not going to be a taxable benefit. So, yeah, employers can offer discount uh, services to their employees uh, for their for the employer's convenience. It really is a good business practice. Um, I know that uh, uh, Lockheed, for example, when I lived in Fort Worth, had and actually a recreational facility that was owned by Lockheed that had amusement rides and things like that, that they would uh, do events for their employees there. And that was uh, that was not a taxable fringe benefit because all employees were uh, uh, invited to that. So, when, you know, if, if the employer has a, a good reason for doing that, that's fine. Now, if, on the other hand, there used to be, you know, in the old days, there would be executive dining halls where, you know, the only the only the top executives would have their meals uh, catered in on a regular basis. And uh, and that would be now a taxable benefit. No question about it. When I was in college, the football team had their own dorm and they had extra big beds and they had their own cafeteria. I don't think they do that anymore. So yeah, that, that's really more the NCAA. You know, it's so interesting you mentioned that because a lot of this really uh, is that's the, that's, you know, the NCAA looking at uh, the difference that in, in the treatment of athletes from uh, students generally at a university and, and said that really can't be anymore. And then we it, and. You know, when you look at what's what this tax law really is about, it really is labor law, employment law. It really is about trying to equalize benefits so that it's not just highly paid employees who are uh, getting access to these benefits. And if they if they are the only ones getting access to the benefits, then they're going to be taxable. All right, we have full phones. I'm so excited that we've got folks who have been listening and are calling in. Let's talk to Kim in Greenwood. Kim, thanks for being a part of In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Good morning. Thank you. I am a commissioned outside sales rep working for a company out of state, um, and I do use my personal vehicle for work. I get a very small gas allowance from my company, but otherwise no reimbursement for all the mileage. And as I understand, the tax rules changed and we're no longer able to write off that mileage. Um, is that correct, or is there any way I can absorb this cost? Because I took a huge hit on taxes last year with that change. Well, it sounds to me, if you're an independent contractor, then you are a separate business. If they're treating you as an independent no, contractor. No, I'm, I'm a W-2. Oh, well then, uh, you know, that really... Um 
I'm surprised the employer is not reimbursing. That's their their option, but it's something that you you should talk with them about. Yeah, you can't take those deductions anymore. They really uh, the non reimbursed employee business expenses used to be deductible, and they were tremendously hard to deduct. Quite frankly. Um, it's always better to be reimbursed uh, than it is to even take the deduction. But they really, the 2017 Act really cut into those deductions, yeah. so that makes it much more difficult. Um, now that uh, that said, the standard deduction is higher, uh, which may offset some of that. But you know, I would uh, I would renegotiate that. Uh, my my wife is a freelancer, so she does her really does her own Schedule C. Uh, each year and can if she she doesn't she happens to to work mostly from home uh, and so doesn't really have a lot of commuting expenses that way but um, those would be deductible on her schedule C but if you're an employee it's not right okay thank you oh that makes me sad (laughs) I'm so sorry Kim let's go on to Eddie who has called in on the road drive carefully Eddie what's your comment or question for in legal terms Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, I've got a annual uh, recertification that requires CEUs. And, of course, I take courses online, and there's a fee associated with that, and my employer reimburses me. Okay, is that considered a, a benefit? Or is the employer required to pick up a tab for recertification? Well, that's a great question. I think it's really a distinction. It's a, it, it, it really doesn't so much matter, honestly, uh, because as long as the employer does reimburse you, you don't have any tax consequences from that. Because if you have expenses that are related to your work uh, that are directly reimbursed by your employer, you don't have to report those. Which, in a way, you know, not all as, as we just heard, not all employers reimburse employee expenses. So it, it is a kind of a benefit. It's not something that necessarily is assumed, but uh, that's something that's the right thing for that employer to do because they need for you to be certified, and so that helps their business. And so I, you know, I I think we can call it a, be- a benefit, or we can say it's a, a something they're required to do either way. Uh, they made a good business judgment to do it, and and that's what's important. Okay, but as an individual, I'm not required to pay taxes. Off. No, any any uh, expenses that you uh, incur in your employment for your for your employment uh, that are reimbursed are not not taxable because uh, the way the way it used to work was it would be that you you could deduct those expenses, uh, but you'd have to include the reimbursement and in income, so that, those two would offset. But now you know that the regulations just say you don't even have to report that as long as the amount uh, that is reimbursed is equal to the expense and does not exceed the actual expenses. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Eddie, we're so glad that you've called in. Let's go to, is it Liza in Columbus? Thanks for being part of In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Uh, yes, ma'am. I just have a quick question. I wanted to know if uh, funds or monies received from a lawsuit, uh, are those monies taxable? Well, as I, again, I have to give the law school answer, which is it depends, and it really depends on what the uh, the damages were for. If they were for physical injury or sickness, they will not be includable in your income. If they're for lost wages or they're for uh, things like uh, pain and suffering uh, that uh, that is not related to a, an actual physical injury or uh, illness, 
then they will, you know, so defamation, you know, things like that will be taxable. If it's for, for uh, a lost business, it's going to be taxable. So it really depends on what those damages are for. If they're punitive damages, they're taxable. Okay, well, I guess like they will be like for uh, pain and suffering type damages. Was it part of a personal injury suit where uh, you, you were actually or someone was actually physically injured? No, not physically injured. It it was like for a company uh, entered and and obta- obtained my home uh, illegally. They repossessed my house, and they they were really going after the wrong house. What it turns out. Well, that would be that's interesting, and I'd have to, I'd have to see you know I'd have to have that's one I can't answer directly. I think you need to to talk to a tax advisor about that because it would really depend on how much it was, what what the compensation was specifically for. If it really just replaced your home, there are rules that would allow you to uh, avoid taxation on that. But that that really uh, gets a little more complicated than I can answer on the air. And I'm sorry, I can't help you. But uh, no. you know, if, it, if 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 for example, if I if I was uh, in, a, in a car accident and had physical injuries that, that, that and the damages paid my medical expenses and, and my cost of rehabilitation, those would not be uh, includable. But pretty much all other damages, unfortunately, are uh, includable. Okay, okay. And so I would probably get a 1099 form or something from, from the company to, uh, to include on my taxes. It's it's possible again. I because I don't know the whole circumstances. I really do think that's one that's worth talking to someone about. Uh, okay, and and including the uh, the lawyer who helped you with your case could probably give you more insight into what those damages were for. Because a lot of times when uh, someone is uh, pleading a personal injury suit, they take into account uh, the parts of the uh, award that will be taxable and those that won't be taxable. So there be there, there be aspects to it that I. I I'm sorry I can't answer directly because I don't. I just don't have enough information. Liza, we're so glad that you called in. And, you know, do look at the paperwork that you received and check back with the lawyer who helped you. Uh, if anyone else has some questions that they'd like to call in and find out what the law is surrounding your point, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. What are your are your fringe benefits taxable? We've got more to discuss in just a moment. And we, what are some great benefits? I'll tell you about them in just a bit. This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. Now, don't forget the ways that you can hear our show live on MPB Think Radio on Tuesday mornings, recordings at 
inlegalterms.mpbonline.org or just pick up the MPB Public Media app. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. So how is this for some fringe benefits? We touched on it a little bit. Google is famous for its over-the-top perks, which include lunches made by a professional chef, bi-weekly chair massages, yoga classes and haircuts. Twitter employees enjoy three catered meals per day, on-site acupuncture, and improv classes. They do not want you to walk out the door. <laughs> they want you to stay and work. Uh, all of those, uh, that's for the uh, the benefit of the employer. Is that what we decided, Professor Gershon? Well, it is. And it's certainly, uh, you know, especially if that's the idea is to keep them there and to make sure that people then have... Uh, I mean, because they can say, well, you know, the employees are, are better if they have access to, for example, your your gym, your workout facility. It keeps you healthier. It's a good thing to do. Uh, you know, having those things available on site, uh, keep employees on site so they're not having to travel anywhere and having to leave work. And, you know, the, the trade-off is those people at Twitter and Google probably work really long hours, I would imagine, uh, in exchange for that. Um, by the way, I want to give a couple of publications that maybe we can post online, too. Our last caller um, asked about personal injury settlements, and uh, the IRS has a publication, 4345, 4345, freely available, and it talks about taxability of settlements and talks about the fact that physical injury, physical sickness uh, damages, including the pain and suffering from those, is excludable. But if anything else, unfortunately, is not uh, is not excludable and is taxable. Uh, publication 15B is what we're talking about with fringe benefits, and that is a great detailed publication, freely available, that will answer any question you have about fringe benefits. Fantastic. And man, I load up the information on these web pages when I've got it. So I hope folks can go to inlegalterms.mpbonline.org or just look at the information in the podcast. All right, we've got three calls that we want to try to get through. Let's go to Brenda from Pascagoula. Brenda, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I have a question about benefits, uh, employer. Uh, my accounting office uh, would do trade-outs with some of our clients for uh, their our fees, and uh, we could use their, um, I'm going to say gift shop, and go there and get a discount on our purchases and the balance of our purchase that, um, I don't know if I'm being coherent, uh, the balance of what we bought went back against that trade-off. Is that um, is that benefit taxable? Well, that really shouldn't be. Ta- sense. You are, and basically, you know, that would be uh, a lot of times. Employers will uh, have relationships with other employers to uh, create. Uh, if you work for a certain company, you get a discount. That that is not going to be uh, taxable, and that's that would be similar to let's say that um, I could go to a local local auto dealer, and they said, "Hey, if you work for the university, this doesn't happen. But if you work for the university, we'll we'll give you you know a five percent discount." That really is just the that particular. Uh, uh, dealership saying there are a lot of people here who work at the university that would be good business for us to to give that discount that's not a taxable thing at all okay great thank you sure thanks brenda let's go to our last call it's tony in corinth tony thanks so much for calling in what's your comment or question 
I was interested in setting up a trust, a private trust or express trust. I'd like to know the tax benefits of it and any information you can give me on it. Wow, that's you know there is a, there a, a whole, whole show. class, of, <laughs> a whole class, whole fifteen week course. In fact, um, yeah, you really need to talk to an attorney about uh, about that because an exp- you know trust can't the, the main benefit really for trust in some ways is that their asset protection uh, they give great asset protection they avoid probate in many cases if they're set up uh, during lifetime uh, which could be uh, some cost savings uh, for if if the person who sets up the trust still controls the assets during their lifetime they're really no income tax benefits at all because it'll be taxed just as if that was their money uh, and taxable directly to them under something called the grantor trust provisions. So you can see this it gets really, really complicated, and I think that's why uh, it, it really needs to be something that you explore your actual personal situation with someone to make sure uh, you're doing the right thing. Tony, but while you're waiting to speak to a, an attorney about your specific situations, check out in legal terms previous podcasts. We've had a number one number of them on wills, estates, and trusts. You, once again, you can find our past shows at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Tony. We appreciate you calling in. Okay, this last one, the, this made my husband sad when he went off to graduate school. Uh, what if you work for an uh, well, oh no, this is a good one. What an educational institution, and your child gets a discount on tuition. Is that taxable? Not if it's below the graduate level. Okay. So as up to up to the you know graduation from college. But now the sad part is if you get a qualified tuition discount for graduate education, that is taxable. And the saddest story I've heard about that was I worked with two wonderful people at another law school. It was a private law school, so it was, it was fairly expensive. And they, the, the wife was a faculty assistant. Uh, the husband was a security guard. She got into law school, got free tuition at that university because that was part of the employee discount. What they were not told, unfortunately, is that that was taxable. So her free tuition... They had to withhold Social Security on and also taxes on, and it really uh, cost them a lot of money they didn't expect to pay. So I wish that was one that we changed. I really think that any educational benefit uh, should be not taxable. I don't care whether it's graduate level or undergraduate level. I've never really understood that distinction. Well, this has been a great show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. We appreciate Professor Gershon each week. He hosts from the University of Mississippi in Oxford, uh, the law, the rare books room of the law library. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Java Chapman, and our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. We hope that you can list, stay tuned and listen to Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress right next. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who is up there, who is in Oxford, I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Time for In Legal Terms, only on MPB Think Radio. Radio.